Hello, hello on Education Monsters. Welcome, everybody. We have a new guest today, and we don't know him yet because he hasn't done an episode with us, but welcome to you, Piotr. He currently lives in Paris. I'm in Montreal, and today we're talking about his adventures. So he studied engineering, and he went on to Paris to study an MBA right now, but he's actually going to talk about his meditation journey and about how mindfulness shaped his life and his daily thinking about being so successful and building his own company and his YouTube channel. Hey, everybody. I'm Pyotr Yordanov. That is Harry Pyotr. But I also like to uh, think of myself like the blind monk. <laughs> I do. It's called the blind monk show, actually. It's what I do daily. <laughs> no, that's good. It's good that you put that name. Oh, okay. I should do that. I should do that. And a friend, they tell me, it's like, look, are you just Pyotr Yordanov? Are you Harry Pyotr? Are you the blind monk? No, no, that was good. That was perfect. How are you? Hello. Hello. Good. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's morning here in Montreal and the sun is shining. It's a good day to talk about yourself, your multicultural background and your finances. Well, I'm in Paris and we don't have any sun yet. So <laughs> that's it. But you know, it's okay. It's fine. No worries about it. It yeah, kind of makes me so... reminisce a bit about the Beirut where I was born and Thailand where I lived for a while, where you had the sun all the time that you actually had to have air conditioning. Otherwise you just melt. Yeah. Let's so. talk about this. So you're in Paris now and let's talk about how you got there. Well, I took a plane and I had a visa, but um, <laughs> no, but like the, the my main uh, reason to be in, in France versus being anywhere else in Europe is because I'm fluent in French. It's my mother tongue. I was born speaking it. And then I learned Lebanese like most people do in Lebanon. Actually, all people. <laughs> that's, that's the national <laughs> language. <laughs> like, uh, it'd be weird. Uh, I mean, you do have a lot of Lebanese who don't really speak Lebanese because they've been living abroad for such a while or they were born abroad. Because, you know, it's, if you don't know anything about Lebanese, we're the definition of uh, multi cultural because more people are outside the country than inside the country i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing sometimes it's a sad thing but at the same time it means when you're in paris you're gonna have so many lebanese god help you <laughs> where does the french influence come from well in, in lebanon i mean lebanon was under the french mandate for a while after the first world war but in my case uh, i also have russian origin so on my father's side and the family we used to speak with my grandparents parents either russian or french and russian wasn't something I was good at. So I just stick with French. And yeah, I mean, I did do French baccalaureate in French schools and everything. So that's where French has been. But then I studied in English in my engineering. So this is where English came in. And uh, it just felt like natural progression in life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like this one day I woke up and realized the French lost the colonial wars because the world doesn't speak French, it speaks English. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially in science, we mostly work in English. Like all the articles, all the research is done in English. I mean, I am a programmer and I do trading in the financial markets and especially programming, everything happens in English or Russian. Uh, but yeah, right. Russian, you be, yeah, like when you read comments in Russian, you feel scared. You feel like there's something in the codes. So, you know, <laughs> Are they angry when you make mistakes? Uh, no, no. I mean, yeah, it's because I, I guess like, um, I mean, there's a lot of programmers who are Indian, but they also speak very well English. So we usually don't really feel them like speaking like Hindi or whatever dialect of they're from. So yeah, it is a popular language and it's the way for us to communicate, to be on the same page, which is practical. So due to the fact that you're from a multicultural background, is that something that your parents push towards the traveling part, the multi-language learning? Um, no. And yes, 
So on the one hand, we're born in a culture where we do speak multiple languages. And on top of it, I mean, Lebanon is, is a small country, like 4 million, 5 million, I don't know what last count is at. But there's like different religions, like you have both Christians and Muslim at kind of full numbers. I don't even know what the proportions are at. But that actually is important because it means that you don't have a single identity. So if you're Lebanese, you know, depends where you're from, you might be listening more to, uh, I don't know, Pink Floyd or to Ziad al-Rahman. So, and these are two different worlds, which means two different ways of thinking and two different ways of approaching things and it's not like uh, ex like exclusive like you're either this or that you can't get to know both and so the second thing i mentioned earlier on i said there's more lebanese abroad than inside the country when i was in, in in high school we had this picture that you would do your university studies and then you would just take a flight and leave the country because it's a very common theme back home because we have or at least used to have i don't know what's happening right now with the crisis but we we have a very strong educational system actually not financial system <laughs> we don't have one. we have a strong education educational system that you know we're polyglots a lot of us are and we're good at what we do but we cannot do it in the country because the country doesn't provide opportunities so people leave to work outside they go to the us or to europe and so it's kind of natural to say that i'm gonna leave what's not natural is when i told my parents i'm going to asia they were like huh my mom thought that you know thailand still had the war with the us she kind of confused it with vietnam i was like no 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 it's it's, it's not the same thing it's cute you know i like i love you mom if you're listening to this but it's not the same <laughs> Now she knows, don't worry, she learns. <laughs> she, but yeah, and if, if we know anything about Thailand, we would know through of, of like maybe Phuket or, people, or places where people go on honeymoons and uh, go to the beaches. And there's not much of a culture of Buddhism, which on its own is also a different world. Like it's a different, different way of looking at life than if you're either Christian or Muslim, uh, which have things in common. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, going to Asia again is not the typical path, but I like it. It was life-changing. So, How long did you stay in Thailand and what was the procedure? Like, what, what were you there? Originally, I got there because I, I was involved in startups in San Francisco, between San Francisco and Lebanon. And then one day I read an article about someone saying that you could bootstrap your company and travel the world. And I thought, why not do that? He said Vietnam. I was like, yeah, what's in Vietnam? No idea. Let's just go. You know, very rational decisions you do when you're thinking irrationally. So I, I just went there Obviously. on paper. Yeah, I, you know, don't tell this to my children one day when I'm going to get mad at them for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> So there, there was this desire of just exploring something else. And so I went to Asia and to be a nomad. I mean, it's not a, it's not a job title. It's just a way of life. And so the point is, the idea is to just keep on traveling every few months, getting somewhere. But when you do that and you get to a country, you meet a girl, you're not going to really be traveling. So you end up staying in the country. That's why I stayed in Thailand originally. Then I broke up with her, but then I kept on returning because it, it felt comfortable. And so over the years, like, I mean, maybe in and out, I was there for four years. At some point, it becomes like a habit or like you get to know where, where to go, who to spend time with, what to work on, where to buy your stuff. So it's like comfortable relatively. But um, the one thing I do miss, and maybe that comes back to the multicultural background, is that it's very hard to find ties who speak well English. So you're going to spend your time with foreigners and miss my family and friends and miss the culture. I felt like I put on the side everything I was born in. And at some point I felt that feels hard. Even though at the same time, when you let go of so much, you kind of remove the self, you kind of remove the ego. And there's a bit of a liberating experience in this, which I found to grow in me and actually become quite practical in my trading practice and currently in my entrepreneurship practice, you know. So maybe I should dive into that, I guess. No, it is funny. I just wanted to add something because you did mention it was more of an adventure. 
And most people see Thailand as a touristy place because it's developing a lot. They have incredible beaches and stuff from what I've seen from pictures. The thing is, when you're going there to live, it's not the same feeling as I'm visiting. It's literally when you came back, it's like becoming sort of a home. And is um, that something that you would add to your identity? Mm, for the first two years, Thailand felt like a home, like any other place in the world could feel like home in the sense that you're used to where to go, what to do, with whom to spend time with. But the last two years, from the moment I started uh, studying Buddhism, practicing meditation, going on retreats, Thailand rep started representing something different and more spiritual. It essentially, it represents the, an, an inward quest. At first, I thought when I left it that I'm going to be missing it. Like, if I'm not in Thailand, I won't be able to be mindful. Um, but now I'm realizing almost it's been two years since I haven't been there. And I realized that the mindfulness quest is internal. And once you've acquired it in a safe environment, which is that of, of ashrams and retreats and, you know, other communities that are into meditation, it starts to become your identity. And even though most people here in Europe are not mindful, it's not bad or good because ultimately what matters is inwards. And uh, I find it more in online communities and I find it more in my own practice, my own journaling and with punctual people. So that is what I miss about Thailand. This is, that's right. People think of Thailand as beaches and bitches and ladyboys. But when you look at this aspect, especially in Northern Thailand, in Chiang Mai, where I was, you actually have mountains, temples, and maybe laughing mushrooms if you want to get into psychedelics but you know really it's about these temples and this culture in thailand it says a religion you, you do pick up the thai religion of buddhism but if you forget about the religious aspect you can focus on the secular scientific uh, mindfulness practice which is like therapy but self-therapy so interesting did you have someone who introduced you to that practice because usually who would go to thailand and be like oh let me go on a spiritual retreat or something i was not going to thailand for a spiritual retreat but i've noticed over the years that a lot of people come to thailand especially chiang mai because something is broken in their lives and they're trying to you know hoping that if they change scenery something will happen especially if they start getting into yoga and meditation and it does help i mean it does depend on where you're coming from and what kind of damage you're trying to work with in my case it was essentially a sense of not being satisfied with elements of my life uh feeling that when you have different interests it gets to a point where you get overwhelmed by all the stuff you can consume and it's no longer satisfying it feels like this next thing i'm going to consume is just salty water and i'm thirsty and never going to be quenched and that's when i came across online ironically on meditation and i remember reading the first thing in buddhism that says we suffer because we cling to things that are impermanent i was like hello that's my life who, who can i talk to even though i always feel the need to say suffering not in the in the western christian way you don't actually suffer but you're not being satisfied that is a form of unsatisfactoriness and so i i did lots of reading i struggled at first because i come from a christian background and i i, I let christianity on the side because it did not answer my things and i did not want to get into a new religion i'm not going from lord jesus to lord buddha right and in thailand you have lord buddha like it's a religion all right i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just you know it is what it is i just don't feel aligned with it because through more reading i, I discovered that there is a secular aspect and i was lucky that i came across a guy called jeremy lipkowitz and he's an american who ordained as a monk in Cambodia, despite him doing uh, neuroscience studies. And, uh, and he was running two retreats at the time, uh, one in October, one in December. And it was Vipassana-based like, retreats, but it was much more relaxed. And look, it's inspired by Buddhist, Buddhist culture because that's kind of the environment we're in. But it doesn't make you a Buddhist. It doesn't require you to do anything. And if anything, it's just an invitation. Like tells you to sit for 30 minutes, not telling you you have to sit. It's telling you try and sit. Can you? 
No, why? Let's just sit with that. You know, let's just explore it, investigate it. And so I was already ready to just like kind of listen to that and like explore it. And a lot of the work, I mean, this was very much influential to me in doing solo retreats in between. That impacted a lot. But afterwards, a lot of it was uh, personal work. And currently, I do hang out with people from Reddit, from the Mind Illuminated subgroup. We hang out every Saturday on Zoom, and we just talk, usually stuff related to meditation. And it's just beautiful. There's always different topics coming in, anything from the Ura Ring to anyone who might be getting into dating and these issues over there, or just your actual practice. So yeah, sometimes you get an actual teacher, sometimes life is a teacher, sometimes yourself as the teacher so just go with the flow wait during those meetings so are you reflecting and also bitching about your life bitching about yeah <laughs> wait <laughs> if you ever come up and start bitching about something in life you're gonna have me looking at you and telling you listen you need a little bit a little bit of loving kindness because I'm, I'm actually the loving kindness guy on this group like usually whenever this form of aversion and the form of hate or uh, not feeling well or like wanting something being needy i know that the best answer to this oftentimes is loving kindness like wish yourself well just give a bit of love in the face of this anger and hate not only that like uh last week we spoke a bit about um actually using like the aura ring or different tools as uh, means to, imp to improve your your practice or not some people were not really liking it some of it is technical sometimes you geek out about the like the feathers or the path or the dharma you know yeah but sometimes it's practical like uh, a very interesting example is a few weeks ago a guy was talking about him getting back into dating for example and it's confusing because when you practice mindfulness meditation you see the rise of things and you know for example that when you're turned on by a girl actually there is a gentle form of suffering inside of it uh, without really knowing because you're you're craving something and then you can build the fantasy and that fantasy can lead to disappointment which can lead you to not being happy and so when you come out of this like quote-unquote monastery kind of hermitage place you are at and you are going into the, the lay person world you see these things and there's the old you used to doing something there's a new you doing something else and they're kind of trying to find the balance it's like wait who's gonna win <laughs> you know it's like a democratic battle to see which party is gonna win um so yeah it's very interesting to have experienced people talk about this has it been discussed in the community already by others what can practice can be done and stuff like that yeah but do you think it helped you in your productivity and being so successful with your degree with your company because the power it takes to put down your phone just that a lot of people don't even realize they have this phone addiction or Netflix addiction or whatever else is distracting them from pursuing their higher potential. Well, here's a paradox. I started wanting to read about meditation because I wanted to get more focused and concentrated on my work. And that was back in 2017. I can say to this day, I haven't really achieved that, ironically. Like that was the goal and that's not what you're going to get. It's like people do yoga and then at the end of the session, they think they can relax and, the, and meditation is about relaxation. The thing is that meditation, like Buddhist meditation and Buddhist philosophy, in them, uh, focus and concentration and relaxation are side effects. They're not the goal. The actual goal is to rewire how your brain is going to react to stuff in life. So what has changed has been my reaction to external events or internal events. So when something stresses me out or makes me anxious, I don't respond as aggressively as I used to before. And if I ever, and if that does happen, if I ever get overwhelmed by the emotion, I have these tools in place that kind of fail safe. They like make me realize like, wait a minute, why am I, why is there anger? And this the shift in language from like, I'm angry versus saying there's anger changes from like the eye to like something rising. And then I can work with it more mindfully. And that is incredibly useful in trading, for example, 
people, but also in anything entrepreneurial. Like I'm starting, I mean, I'm working on this YouTube channel right now. And so what do I do if people like my videos and I get lots of views on this one and on the previous one? Do I get excited? Do I fish for the likes or the comments? Do I get disappointed if I don't get what I expect or not? If I get something negative, do I just like get sad? If, if Reddit doesn't want to, you know, just bans my comment, what do I do? When I, if I'm not mindful, every one of these events are the triggers of making me happy or sad. Then you're going to be jumping between happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad. And it just blows out of proportion. When, when I'm more mindful right now, what happens is that I actually see the thing happening and I, I use it as an information. Like if someone tells me awesome work, uh, I try and tell them, thank you. I appreciate that. But maybe I want to try and know from them what what is it that they liked is it the delivery is it the context if someone tells me they don't like it i love it because then they can tell me what they did not like it can either be again in my delivery in my content creation and something so any information positive or negative is information and with mindfulness you, you cannot stabilize the mood swings and you can start focusing more on these stuff and it's the same thing you know like i'm not getting views over time you could remind yourself that this is a long-term journey but that's not really going to be helpful you're going to be on a friday evening and you want to go out but you're feeling bad because your channel is not performing so what do you do like you know when you have this mindfulness you're going to be like well right now in this moment i'm breathing and my back is a bit stressed you know and i have this tension on my knee and i'm just going to try and relieve them and interestingly enough that does actually relieve which actually remove the stress and allows you to just start over again that is what people seek as superficial benefits but the more internal benefit which you cannot see uh, is that in my mind instead of like looping i just stop and there's like emptiness like there's a form of void not always of course and there's no real void and you don't want to seek it but there's a pause until you get to the next stimulus and then a pause and the next stimulus so you said that you needed this practice because there was originally this negative emotion that you did not want to have within yourself like some form of mm. anger or frustration where mm. did that frustration come from is that education like who taught you to express anger to begin with i think i was not taught how to deal with anger skillfully just like most of us are not we are taught how to be good in math but we're not taught to well how do you you know if you're 16 and you have a breakup and it's the end of your life and you're getting into emo mode yeah i mean <laughs> We, we can make fun about it, but there's a child suffering right here. He's crying, being in pain. And as far as I'm concerned, this is as important of them failing a math exam. But what do we have in place in our educational system to help such people? We don't have anything. So they start smoking or they start going out and partying or they start having unprotected sex maybe. And everything that we do that we are like putting people in prison for, if you look back at the root, it's just because we were not taught how to skillfully deal with it. And there are, I mean, religion offers this but christianity or islam offers something and then expects something in return offers you dogma and offers you routines and rituals to do without really explaining what's happening whereby buddhist practice is therapy and if you come and think about it nowadays it's very common for people above 20 to see therapists or a psychologist well why are you seeing one if you don't have any problem because you do have a problem well maybe you should have gone and most people do therapy and they start going with a childhood well why do i have to wait till 30 to go back to my childhood why not do when solve the problem when it's rising when i'm 12 or 13 or 14 <laughs> this is where my question come from is that we learn as children from watching people so basically if yeah. you see someone getting angry or if you see your parents fighting a lot then you're gonna be more likely to reproduce those patterns so if you've learned that anger from somewhere it means that society has shown that to you as a child and that you've True. embedded it to the point where you had to seek a solution which was meditation for me and for me it was more hiking because I, mm. I do like the nature it calms me down because to me sitting sitting still is 
super hard because I'm hyperactive. I'm hyperactive too. And this is why I end up running the hard way because of pain. Actually, I was so much in pain physically at some point. I had a hip injury and I had like gastric stuff and problems because I was consuming so much coffee and sugars and sweet and McDonald's that I just was hoping that if I can consume any of these, I'm going to be more motivated only to realize my body at some point told me you either change this or we're going to have gastritis again. I'm like, yeah, let's, can we talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, the, the, the moment it was probably like a, a turning point in, in, in my experience was when in my first retreat, I actually practiced loving kindness to myself, like when I wished myself to be well. Until this point, I thought loving kindness, wishing well to others is bullshit because people don't deserve that. And then when I actually practice it during this moment, yeah, I mean, you know, people are- Wait, you don't believe in karma? You don't believe that if you wish somebody well, then that wish is going to come back to you? My interpretation is that karma is not something you believe in or not. So like, this is how I see karma. If you get angry right now and you're with me in the room, I will sense your anger. If I become restless as a result of your own anger, then your karma passed to me. That's it. If on the contrary, I can see the rise of your anger and I remain calm, which actually could make you calm because you realize you're just being angry alone. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that you'll calm down a bit, you know, especially if we are happen to be arguing together. You know, if I remain calm, it could calm the other person down, essentially killing the cycle of karma. That's it. If I'm, you know, positive in my thought, if I'm I'm joyful and then I'm talking to you and I'm being smiling and joyful, no matter the circumstances, you know, good luck not smiling too, right? So it's the same. I can, you can generate this positive karma and then it does pass onto the other person, but it's a cycle. It just goes up and down and and it's constantly dying and reborning, which is where reincarnation, again, in my own interpretation, is happening. What reincarnates is, is the emotions that we go through. So when you're hungry and you eat, then you're hungry again. That's reincarnation. Same thing for anger. When you asked me a moment ago, was the thing for me? So when I was originally started back in 2013, I, I won competitions and I went on stages, but I did it because I wanted the attention. And I thought that I want people to tell me good job because I was satisfied for whatever reason I was seeking the attention. And so that is a problem because at some point you can't keep on seeking attention. Uh, this is not sustainable and it's not fulfilling because that's not the real need today when i'm doing the be on this podcast or like doing the youtube channel or everything i want to build which is around me as a person as a brand i have no desire or interest of seeking attention honestly i would rather not seek the attention because it's toxic you know people they just might hide behind usernames and just say things about you or good things about you and then if you want to seek the good versus the bad you're going to suffer instead what i love the most and i seek the most today is the growth on the journey it's asking myself well today i'm getting you know 50 views but not so long ago i was barely getting 10 right so what do i need to do to get to 100 and then from 100 to 200 am i comparing myself to someone else that is breaking my way of working or etc and so it's in this journey and listening to what is rising in every single moment and dealing with it on the spot and not like being too consumed with where i want to be in two years that is much more fulfilling for me and that is more you know it's it's mindful by default like i have so many ideas but i always drop into what is now whereas my emotion right now and that requires some calm and some stillness which you know it's it's hard i know it's hard to sit and most people say i can't meditate i'm like no you can you just have never tried it that's all you know trust me i was in the same position before before i do my first retreat i spent a year playing chess with a friend of mine because I couldn't sit still for more than two minutes without actually losing because of my impatience. I mean, I was obviously better than him. Eventually, I would always beat him. So he, he stopped playing with me. 
<laughs> you know, but in the beginning, I could, you know, his girlfriend can call me and I get tilted and I lose because I got tilted. I was like, this doesn't make sense. But I had to spend almost a year until I could even sit for five minutes. And, and then once you start sitting, it shifts from like being like, oh, now I can sit until you start experiencing the changes in your mind. Then it becomes like, oh, yeah, of course, it's annoying to sit for 25 minutes. You know, it's like, what are you going to do in them? But if you look at it differently, and if you experience what happens after 25 minutes, then it's like, wait, I want to sit for 25 minutes. I want to because it calms me down. You know what? My, my metro ride is 25 minutes. That's my 25 minutes of meditation where I'm going to sit and just watch what is rising in the moment. This guy listening to music next to me, I don't want him to piss me off. I just want to stay with my breath. You know, it's you, you are the teacher, you guy with your phone. Do you sometimes think about the downside of living in a moment such as not having enough ambition, just like living day to day, not thinking about money or not thinking about the repercussions of tomorrow? Do you think that it could also stop you in your growth, like you said? Because there needs to be a balance between what you're enjoying now and also sort of planning for mm. yourself, your retirement, your next trip you know having plans is also healthy being in the moment does not mean having no plans it actually means that you want to see what is rising in the moment regardless of your plans so like your plans are in your head but there's a body taking you from room a to room b taking you from this grocery store to your house being in the moment means listening to that body basically also it simply means seeing you know if there's any tension in your muscles but when you're trying to plan For something in the future have you ever felt like this gut feeling you don't really know where it's coming from and it feels right or not you know you feel excited or not excited being in the moment means listening to these stuff as they're rising and actually questioning like i would ask myself do i want to do this video for example and i don't want to force myself to find the answer i want to listen to whatever rises if i hear a fuck yes i'm like then i'm doing it and i don't have to fight against it so it feels like being in the moment is like emptying your mind it's not you're not emptying anything you're not cleaning anything What you're doing, you're stopping or you're trying to slow down the amount of jumping your mind is doing to actually do less of it, which becomes more productive, which also calms you down physiologically, which gives you more room to think, to actually plan better for the future, you know, because I mean, something very, very important, like, you know, uh, once you, it's actually a Zen thing, a Zen quote I read once, it says, once you're enlightened, you do the dishes again, because just being enlightened doesn't mean anything because dishes have to be made. Life has, <laughs> life goes on just because you became enlightened it doesn't mean anything like the world is not going to change you're not going to float what does change is how you are approaching the world right now so when there's dishes to be made instead of you being like oh my god i hate doing dishes for half an hour you're going to be there and just calming down and doing it and in it's way like you know like you said you like being in nature like it's calming for you to be in nature imagine doing the dishes being a calming exercise imagine being in the metro instead of you bitching around for 25 minutes you actually feel like i can sit for 25 minutes and just relax my body relaxes which means my brain relaxes and if here's one more thing and I've, and I've read about it that didn't really experience it myself but like people who meditate frequently their mind changes the way it functions so they do sleep less because they need less sleep because the mind rests more and it's restless less so if you're telling me how does this like work with your goal well to achieve my goal and to be successful i need all the tools and energy i can well if i can do this one thing which is not getting my goal to get more energy to actually get my goal better well you know and that's the main paradox you know this is this whole west eastern philosophy you want something don't get it it's it up stop to see why do you want it what's what's really behind that thing then go get it yeah just take a moment you know just, just sit but do you also <laughs> realize most of the times that what we want is temporary so it's like instead of going to go get it you can just sit down and then be like i actually don't need it yeah 
Yeah, it could be anything possessive material, but it could also be relationships. Well, here is where I can decap and tell you what, what you're talking about is called the insight into impermanence, which is one of the pillars of Buddhism. And that insight leads to another insight called, which is the insight of the no self, which is scarier for most people. It actually says that this ego, this, sense, this experience of I is not real. We're attaching ourselves like I am Lebanese. What does that mean? You're Asian. What, do, what does that mean? It, it doesn't actually mean anything. It's not out there. It's not written on my face we decided that that's what it is so if it comes to a relationship when you know that things are not lasting what you would do is you would sit like you know you're having an argument with your boyfriend or girlfriend whatever it is and you're sitting there and instead of you thinking oh but we're having such a great time together i really want to make it work you say there's stuff the, the, the tough stuff it's like listen uh it seems that you're doing this this is how i'm feeling and it seems like fundamentally it's not working despite me feeling at the same time that it's actually something i would really love to do you want to try and listen to really what's happening and to trust at some point that it is outside of your control you know i did not decide to fall in love with this person or to actually want to do this job it's not my decision and it's not my decision to not like it anymore at no point did i decide that doesn't mean that you become just saying oh i just don't do anything because it's not my control no what you can control is to give it space to listen to the voice and there's multiple voices often conflicting like there's a voice that wants to stay with the guy and there's the voice that wants to break up which one do you listen to and usually you start going with rationally oh like you know he has a good job or like you know it's a it's a great idea but instead when you try and be in tune with with your body with the moment and it's an exercise i did in my last breakup i literally asked out loud do i love her and i was surprised because i thought i did but i didn't get a yes a very convincing yes so what's going on here when you're used to you know letting go of the idea of i and actually giving in to just i don't know i don't really have any control but i can actually set intentions you can discover these things and, and out of this simple question i uncovered further why the relationship wasn't working what was wrong with me that caused me to be in such a relationship in the first place and then what can i do about it which by the way i'm being having a youtube channel <laughs> so so you know just from asking a question and just listening to like the, the, the truth in the moment which was not what i thought it would be does it happen to you that you can ask yourself that question do i love her in the morning and then ask yourself the same question a few hours later mm -hmm. but get a different answer just because you're in a different yeah. mood so the issue with that intuitive asking is that you're also led by hormones and biological processes that makes you yeah. your mind based on how you feel at the moment so that's why we tend to be rational in making those big decisions like you said does he have a good job and whatever because explorers like us don't tend to trust their own decisions that's why they're mostly indecisive well to pick on the example you said when you are mindless you are at the mercy of your hormones so one the morning you're something in the evening you're something else well, if you're bipolar or whatever it is you know you, you could have that when you start being more mindful you reach a state where you notice that wait a minute i was happy this morning why am i sad right now that's that's the first step it's it's a massive step this realization this awareness is the very first step and it's it's a it's a form of insight you know insight is actually buddhist term it's like one of the first thing i started having when i was in retreat it's like wait a minute i was so angry at sitting now i'm no longer angry why it doesn't make sense with practice you, you deconstruct level further and you realize that wait so in this morning i mean maybe you're a girl i don't know maybe you had your peers in the evening and this is why your mood switch switch I'm, i'm not i'm not i'm just using this as an object, like something flipped, led you to this. Oh, maybe just a better example, coffee. You didn't have coffee, you were actually end of the world, you had coffee, now you're happy, right? So you realize that what changed your mood was a temporary object, which was something external. At which point you could maybe rework on your lifestyle. But sometimes when you actually, in the case of my, you know, if you look at the relationship, like in the case of my ex, I would have these things where like one moment, I don't want to talk to her, I hate her, she just made me suffer. The other one was like, oh, I miss her. I wish she could just answer my phone, right? Why? 
I mean, I wasn't having hormonal breakdowns at that point, and I wasn't having any coffee. But in that moment, this is where mindfulness gets even more powerful and more interesting because it will show you the subtlety. By asking the question, do I love her? And I don't get a clear answer. Then you can start digging. All right, what's going on in there? Because what I'm trying to say is that the fact that you switch moods in this particular more advanced example is because you have two yous fighting each other for attention and no one is really winning. It's like a 50-50 battle of democracy. No one really wins. It's like Brexit, you know? And you want to try and like get to a stage where the majority of your mind is in accordance with a certain idea, at which point you'll be able to more relaxed, look at a circumstance and actually behave differently. And that again, actually in Buddhism is called pacification of the minds or unification of the minds, where you see all these things rising, which are all you, and you want to try and have harmony between them. And which, you know, would just give you this ultimately again, gives you peace, focus, and all relaxation, all of that. For me, the only kind of hard downside of being mindful is that it's a bit lonely, especially in, in, I don't know if it's only in the West, maybe if I go to Thailand, I feel the same thing. But yeah, it is like, and I'm not trying to sound pretentious or anything. It's not something that I'm you, you pride in because then pride leads to suffering because, you know, but it's like, yeah, I'd be in a position and I'm noticing people around me being restless, but I'm remaining calm. You know, like most of my friends worrying about Lebanon and I'm at peace with it. You know, I'm very sad about what's going on, but I realize I cannot do anything, so I am at peace. And so people around me are not. Sometimes they want to try and do something, and it feels like they need to do it. And I, I just can't. And actually, it's if I were to not accept their reality, then I suffer myself. But at the same time, just because I see them struggling with the things that they might not be aware of, but I have experience in meditation, I cannot go and preach to them. It's like, hey, this is how you can change. Because if you came to me five years ago and told me, hey, this is how you can suffer less as, as an entrepreneur, I would have told you, get the hell out of my lane. <laughs> I have things to do. I'm not going to sit for four days, do a retreat in silence, not even 10. No, 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 no. I need this time. You know? Talking about loneliness, do you think it fits people who are more introverted rather than extroverted or not necessarily? I mean, I would have to be both an intro and extrovert to know. I, I can tell you that as someone who has a lot of ideas and has wants to do a lot of things and has a lot of interests, it did help me because it allowed me to just calm down. And in the middle of the storm of ideas on, on when I'm sitting on my cushion or even now on my chair, it's just quiet, you know, and, and so for example, a simple example, right now we're talking together and you're listening, so you're not doing the talking. Chances are your mind might be just jumping. I didn't do the dishes. I need to do laundry. I have to go buy this and do that. Maybe I have another call afterwards. You know, your mind is doing these somehow, whether you want it or not. And it's tiring, you know, but if you could tell the mind, it's like, hey, listen, real, we're not, we're just like, am I comfortable in my chair? Yes, great. Let's be comfortable for a moment here, right? comes down so it is it is lonely but at the same time it's quiet because the moment the loneliness feel painful then i'm no longer in the moment because now i'm thinking oh no one is thinking like me it's another insight i mean that's another thing i had during retreat when like we asked the, the teacher like you know okay i have compassion towards others so i go and preach to them and he's like if you do because you don't accept the reality you're suffering yourself you need to sit more <laughs> so there's nothing to preach someone asks you talk that's it they don't ask you don't talk have you used um one of those apps called like a headspace or calm, one of those yeah. that help you meditate. Yeah. So uh, these are their value proposition is the guided meditation. Guided meditation is great to get started, but 
we had this uh, one time we had this Tibetan monk in Chiang Mai and he was sitting and he was doing guided meditation over five days in a row. And on the fifth day, he's like, I'll start with guided meditation, but only for a few minutes, then I will be quiet because you should not get used to my voice. And so the insight here is that once you are hearing someone's voice, when you have a mantra playing in the background, when you are focusing on, on a flame or an object, whatever you're using as a form of meditation can become a form of attachment, which will distract you from your practice. And at some point, you will have to let go of it. That being said, better start with something than nothing. You know what I mean? So like, they're great, but at the same time, they might leave some people feeling like frustrated because it's like, yeah, yeah, not, why do I want to scan my body? Because at the same time, they don't give you the theory behind what you're trying to achieve. Like what are the hindrances, for example, or like what other three marks of, what are the full noble truth? Like what am I trying to get at just to be calm? Well, now you're telling me to look at my feet. I just don't feel calm right now. I feel like so self-aware of my body. That's not helping, <laughs> you know, just as an example. That being said, I do use Insight Timer because I only use it as a timer and I actually design it, even though I was saying you get attached to the tools, but uh, I design it in a way where every minute it, it, it rings a bell actually twice with a three to five, I think three seconds interval between every bell. And the idea is that if I am mindful, I'll be aware when the bell rings. If I'm really mindful, I'll be able to feel the time between the two bells. If I'm not mindful, it will go very fast. If I'm really not here, I will not even hear the bell. And so in a way, the presence of the bell is just a way for me to kind of gauge where I'm sitting. And so during the practice, I will notice myself being more aware and then like flowing, going away and then being more aware and then going away. And it's just kind of reference because if I were to only put 25 minutes and then have nothing in between from a training perspective, because meditation is a training from a training perspective it's not the best and actually i got this idea there's a map that actually you put something around you it's a it's a ecg and so it can actually see your brain activity and so during the, the your practice if your brain gets too active meaning you're being distracted it starts uh, it goes silent and when you get calm you start hearing tweets you know, from birds but it's a bit cumbersome to use every time you have to tune it every single time but i thought you could do the same thing with the gong and so i think this might be much more useful than having like long sit or having someone talk because the exercise is very simple every minute it's gonna ring are you gonna be here if not no problem maybe you want to investigate why when you are great congratulations tap yourself on the back that's very important how do you feel about meditating in groups I haven't thought about it. I tried once uh, not so long ago when I was in Georgia to do something like that. The biggest problem, thinking out loud right now, the biggest problem is that we don't all have the same experience of meditation or the same approach. Uh, right now, what I'm talking to you is a very personalized version of meditation. However, if you were to read something like The Mind Illuminated or read, uh, I don't know, like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh or you know, similar authors to my way of thinking, then you'd be on the same page. But I often meet people, even, I mean, here in Paris, who would have their own interpretation of what Buddhism is and what meditation is. So when you sit, you cannot read on the same page, which was the nice thing about Thailand because I know what I'm getting myself into. So it was great to be on the same page. Like if I'm going to retreat with Jeremy, for example, I know what we're doing. And that was beautiful. It was a group retreat. So that's part of the challenge. Like for example, yeah, for example, the personal retreats in Europe usually tend to be Goenka style. And Goenka style, as an example, is very specific with its rules. And they tell you, if you don't know the rules, you cannot be with them. And I'm like, well, why? So it's like the same thing I was telling you a moment ago about, about meditation now. It's great because Goenka style just gives you a formula to just kind of go by, but it's a bit bad when it becomes like, look, it's like a cult. Like if I don't know it, I cannot be part of it. Like, what do you, what do you, I mean, the Buddha said, if it works for you, great, forget me. If it doesn't, great, forget me anyway. You know, he was 
she was, she wasn't asking you to to believe in him when he was asked does god exist he did not answer because he found it to be irrelevant it's like whether he exists or not my package is right now what i'm gonna do about this yeah, right that's the that's the thing that matters more so he was more pragmatic like the end goal is for you to have an experience of stillness of quiet in the moment and so when there's rules around it yeah so like i mean maybe on the saturdays when we have these calls it's, we're not really meditating together but we speak about each of our own individual practices and i think it's it remains important because it is a very individual exercise yet at the same time it's fascinating that if you're going this path you tend to come across same obstacles that others come across as a, as a scientist, I love that because it means it's reproducible. So if you sit, you're going to face challenges. I will talk about it because I know what it is. This is really cool, actually. But do you think coming from different cultures, you know how in the Western culture, we have more self-help mm. books and it's the rise of eat, pray, love and whatnot. But yeah. we actually live more of the Eastern influence mm. of actually living buddhism and stuff do you think yeah. those two things are complementary like how how can you mitigate there's a problem in christianity and islam and judaism is that what's going to happen in christianity if you believe in christ or in islam if you believe in Muhammad? at some point you're going to paradise whatever you're doing is to go to paradise or to hell you got one ticket and that's it I mean, Judaism, I guess, is the same, but, you know. But it means that your whole life is a hostage of a something in the future that is a single event. And so you sin, meaning you're doing something bad, or then you're doing something good to, to be able to kind of get these points and be in God's favor. And that is the very problem that Buddhism would tell you causes suffering. Because when you say that there's a paradise, it means it's something good. It means it's something bad, which is sinning, that makes you not get to paradise. So you will want the good stuff that gets you to paradise, and you will want to stop the bad stuff, which will not get you there, which is where we get into all this conversation about like sex before marriage, about like gender equality or not. Like, all these conversations come from really that thing. Like we need, we think if you put some rules, we'll get to paradise, which is the end goal. Otherwise, life has no purpose. Buddhism is going to be like, look, no, it's not, a, it's not about this. Actually, if you are to put these rules, you will struggle because even if tomorrow you do everything by the book, the moment someone sins or you sin, it's just going to go down the drain. You're just going to feel bad about yourself. You're going to have to repeat it. The problem is that the theory does not work in the favor of helping you get there. The one thing in common, though, between these religions and Buddhism, and here I think about my mom, like my mom would always say that she feels like there's God has been in her life. I cannot experience what she experienced. But recently I've been feeling, kind of understanding what she means. Like in Christianity, you say, may thy will be done, right? You're, you say to God, may your will be done. And of course, atheist is going to be like, oh, but who is he? And then he's doing everything. Why would I do anything anyway? Because it's his own will. And who am I to just with a prayer book change his divine plan, right? Like George Carlin would say. And that's all true. It's, it's right. But there's something very important. When you say, may thy will be done, you're essentially saying, I trust that something out there will take care of my life. I'll do my best. If it goes my way, then thank you. If it doesn't, God has something for me. This surrendering gives internal peace. You're no longer fighting with the injustice that's around. You just like trust that something good will happen. And if it doesn't, well, there's my paradise after all, because I just try to do my best. And so when, and when I told you a moment ago that what you're trying to achieve with mindfulness is to realize that I don't really have any decision. Like when I like a girl or not, I don't know why. When I like to stream or not, I don't really know why. I just tried it. It, it worked well. When I tried something else, it didn't. So at some point, I end up reaching a state where I completely gave up this feeling that I know best. All I know is that I don't know anything. But what I know is that I can try to, you know, skillfully look for one thing versus the other, but to listen to it. So what I would tell you, it's in my body. That's my body talking to me. Others would tell you that's God. That's the will of God. This is their, their experience of God. Whether it is an experience of God, whether God exists or not, 
is honestly irrelevant. What matters to me more is that you in this moment are still, you're calm, you're at peace. Your life, whether you believe in God or not, is just calmer. So that is what I find to be a similarity between these two. The difficulty of Christianity or Islam, I, I can speak more of Christianity because this is what I studied for a while. It's like Christianity asks you to believe blindly and you eventually experience it whereby in buddhism he, the buddha himself says don't believe me try it for yourself see for yourself take the path go on this journey and then you will by yourself reach it or not and when you do you end up getting to the same result but more like scientifically more heuristically and more convincedly inside at the end of the day what matters is that are you at peace with yourself or not so uh, but i also think this is where in the west we struggle so much we feel like we need to consume so much it is actually connected to what we have before like sure now it's like the, the france is like a secular country right but it still remains a religious country originally so like originally but but what is this religion coming from even the philosophy comes from like uh Sartre or whatnot and these guys are influenced by religion they don't know you know, like, I think therefore I am. But who's I? That's what the Buddha would tell you. Who's this I who's thinking? Who's this I who is? Who's this I who had this idea? I don't know, right? So... But it's funny. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine and he did dig a lot into Buddhism and he said, I cannot just listen to myself and my own needs and what feels right because otherwise I'd get super fat eating all the cookies in the world. So there needs to be a bit of discipline in that. Then you need to think about restraining yourself of all the pleasures because a lot of people are driven by their biological addiction, whether it be smoking or sex or tanning or sports. It could be anything you want. And I think that that discipline needs to override what you think is right. When you're there's something very important here, an addiction is not a body addiction, it's a mind addiction. The mind is addicted to the high, it's getting through the body. And it's the mind that says, I want more of this cookie. It's not the body. The body doesn't no, it doesn't read. The body's like, look, I, I've had enough. I'm good. I don't need this cookie to survive or to breathe. I don't need this cigarette to be able to breathe. But it's the mind that's just like, you know, it's like once a bit more of it. This is the most basic example you have during your retreat. You sit. Why do people tell you have to sit on the cushion and like have your back straight? It's going to hurt because their masochist is not getting. The point in, in this is that unless if you have a back injury that needs medical attention, when your back is hurting, give it enough time. It will no longer hurt because guess what? It's a muscle. It'll build up. It'll be able to manage it. What used to be very uh, annoying for me before now is one of my most pleasant way of sitting. <laughs> actually, I even have it on my picture actually on, on, on all social media. It's me sitting on the cushion, which I did not like in the beginning because it was hurting my back. Now I love it. It's just, just nice. It does get tiring. But what I learned through it is that until I realized that my body got used to it, my mind was like thinking, no, this is too much. I don't want to sit any second longer with the experience of pain. And when the experience of pain from the body was gone, because I was forced to sit, you know, then my mind was for, forgot about it. So this is a very basic example of like the body just doing its thing, you know, at some point getting used to it. And then it's just like no longer pinging you about it. And the mind just like wanting to run a crusade because of that sit. So an addiction to sugar, to hurting others, to consuming drugs, or to just having excess in life is the same thing as the mind thinking that it can only be happy if it were to consume that additional thing. And so if you were to really be mindful, you would notice that that thing leading you to overeat is actually because you're stressed. And now we're like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I stressed? Why am I using foods as a means to compensate for my stress? You become aware of it. And then you need the practice that would make you, hopefully, that takes time though, to be disciplined and not engage with it. Not because food is bad and like, you know, the smoking is bad or like drinking is bad. No, but because you realize that if I were to maybe try and like resist giving into it, the experience I'm going to have at the moment is just like a bit more quiet, you know? 
I mean, uh, awakening also is called like nirvana, sorry, is also means cooling off. This is just like, you know, this like feeling of relaxed. That's what it is. And if you resist this eating of sugar, it makes you fat. That's what you're going to feel. For reals, do you truly, truly, generally think that everyone is capable of thinking like this? I don't have to think about everyone. I think that myself still struggle with this. I still binge on food, on coffee, on different stuff. Like, I mean, not, I don't smoke, but and I don't really like alcohol, but I binge on these stuff, video games, for example. I binge on them because even though I do have an altered experience that has been happening for the past few years, I'm 31. So I have 27 years of me doing the opposite. So it's not realistic for me to expect that all my habits are going to change overnight, not to mention that I do have a lot of stressful stuff in life. However, what I do observe is that I don't engage as aggressively as I did before in these months. Like, for example, I used to party like Fridays and Saturday. First of all, I can't really do this physically anymore. And it's not like but not that much pleasant. Second of all, I would much rather spend, you know, these weekends on a silent retreat than I would on party. Whereby people, when they get to this age, they think that I want to travel. And I want to go, I want to escape by being away. And that is, that is true. So what I'm trying to say is that it's not like a switch. You don't just go from like consuming all the time to not consuming all the time. It is a transition where progressively you still have these habits. Life still keeps on going on. You still have responsibilities. But in the moments where it seems to matter most, your reaction is going to be slightly different. And until again, like think of it, like, you know, you're hundred percent being mindless and then you become 90% and then 80% and 60 and 50. And at some point it takes over and starts to tips off and it might change, but it doesn't have to go all the way to zero. That's what's also important. It doesn't have to be there. What matters more is in this moment, in your current situation, in your life, what is this thing that makes what you seem to be the most comfortable with? Not what you think is what makes you the most comfortable. Think of it like you're doing your research right? You're scientists and doing experiments. You have to be probing every single new data point because at every single data point, you might actually be told that there's another path to take and you got to be able and be, this is also practice. You've got to be able to listen to, to the obstacle and realize in this obstacle, there's a new path. There might be something else. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all your advice. This has been really, really useful and hopefully will inspire a lot of people to go on meditation and at least be aware of themselves. Would you have a last piece of advice for our listeners? I, I don't I don't have a piece of advice to give because you give a piece of advice when there's a problem to which you can give an advice. Mm-hmm. But I would rather feel like if I were to do anything, I would uh, offer an invitation to the people listening that we live our life with social media thinking that we have to consume that next thing. And I do consume it. I, I'm also spending time on my phone. Um, but that is not the only way life has to be experienced. There is a way where you could experience life in a more still calm fashion and in parallel with the normal life you have. And that's something that is pleasant, but takes effort, especially nowadays. The hardest thing is finding the person who can teach you that, finding the proper path, but it might be worth it uh, if you're the kind of adventurous who wants a bit of quiet in their life. So thank you so much. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Education Monsters. I hope you liked it. If you'd like to take a French lesson with me, don't hesitate to go on the Education Monsters website to book a class. I'll be super happy to get to know you and we can practice languages together. Don't forget to subscribe to the website and you'll get a notification when a new blog article comes out. Last but not least, please, please, please consider making a donation to my Patreon account. This education project means so much to me and I'll greatly appreciate it if I can have your support. 
Thanks again, and I'll see you for the next episode on Thursday.